A bed possessed by a demon spirit consumes its users alive. I'm Corey. And I'm Paul. And we are the, the B-Movie Bros. Here we review movies to the best of our abilities. Sometimes we get off topic, but randomness is a gift. You know, here we are, of course, broadcasting from Paul's apartment in association with the River's Edge Network of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as we welcome you back to How the Fuck Did That Kill You Month? We are talking about the 1977 film Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. What were you expecting from Deathbed, The Bed That Eats? Well, I was expecting a bed that eats people, and that's basically it. I I didn't really know what to expect. That's all I expected, too. Let's get into technical difficulties. Top three and bottom three things about this movie. I'm going to go ahead and uh, get this kicked off here. The bottom three worst three things about this movie for me. Number three. The bed is said to have magical powers, but they're quite untapped. The guy behind the painting says, You have enough power to bring down this house if you so choose. So what kind of magical powers does the bed have? Like, the only ones we see it utilize are it can give people nightmares, and it can whip its sheet around. Like, that's it. Like, I want to see what other magical powers it has. I think he was just taunting it, like, oh, why don't you tear down the house? Oh, wait, you can't, because you're a bed. Um, number two, every f- scene feels like it's drawn out forever. This movie was 77 minutes long. I felt like it was 77 hours long. Like, I just kept waiting for things to happen, and eventually things happened. The bed would eat people, but between bed-eating peoples, it was just, like, waiting and waiting, and waiting, and it just never ended. There were a lot of times while watching this, I forgot I was watching a movie, and you started texting people, like, oh yeah, I'm watching a movie. And then like three hours later, I'd be like, Paul, look, something happened, and I'm like, oh wait, it's, it's been ten minutes. And number one, most of the dialogue comes in the form of inner monologues, either from behind the painting guy, Sharon, the black chick, the white chick that's not Sharon, or Sharon's brother. Everybody has an inner monologue, and it has no point. It's just boring, everyday shit that you don't want to hear. And I feel like this movie did it for an artistic reason, and the movie could have been more artistic if they just would have had it have like the ambience of the, the noises of the outdoors or the crackling of the fire or something going on in the background instead of the pointless inner monologue that I don't give a shit about. Because I don't care if you think, oh, that color doesn't look so good on him. What the, what the fuck does that matter? This bed is going to eat you! For number three, my god, the sound quality of this movie was awful. Like, considering that it relied heavily upon, like, little sounds in the house and the monologuing, it just, it was so grating, it was really annoying to listen to. And I, I get it, it was low budget, but still, in 1977... Still, it was really quite annoying and just so low quality that I just couldn't even appreciate it for the charm. Uh, for number two, I'm going to have to go with, kind of like what you said, the fucking narration and the inner monologues, which half the characters had, it was just ridiculous. It's like somebody would say something and another person would have an inner monologue because we had to hear their thoughts about it. Because I guess they were such poor actors that you couldn't, you couldn't get, gauge it by their expressions, so they had to spell it out for you. You had to hear what their thoughts. It was just real annoying. It's like somebody will, will like, um, insult the other one. They'll be like, have an inner monologue. That hurt my feelings. Like, 
I, I got that, you know, I, I didn't need that spelled out for me thing. And, and it's just like that, too. It's not, oh, man, that, that really hurt my feelings. It's, that hurt my feelings. I should not have done that to provoke her. Even the, um, the guy behind the painting, you just say what was going on, like, directly what just happened. That bed is now eating some, well, yeah, I, I, I noticed, dude, like, I, I don't need you there. Why are you even there? Like, we never really learned why he was there in the first place. He was just there to tell us the plot. For number one, I'm gonna have to go with, of all the characters, the bed was really the most well-developed character. Everyone else is just kind of there. They just stumble upon the house for no reason. They go into it for no reason. And then there's the guy behind the painting who's just a guy, a dead guy behind the painting, who narrates things. He doesn't have any reason to be there. They don't really explain why he's there. He, just, he, was, just, he was just one of the many victims of the bed. Yeah, but for some reason he's, like, there. Yeah, and, it's and like, even he states, I don't know why you kept me here and didn't keep the others. Well, that's okay. Neither do the writers. But, yeah, basically the bed was the most developed character. It knew what it wanted. It wanted to eat people, and it, it got the job done. It was just, it had nothing else to do, so it's like, well, it may as well eat people who stumble upon this place. So let's move on to the top three things about this movie. Number three, there's a montage of the bed eating people throughout, like, the last hundred years or so. It's actually kind of funny because, you know, monologue guy behind the painting is narrating the whole thing and telling you who these people were and what their reason for using the bed was. And it's like, the priest was trying to use it to be to, for comfort, and the bed ate him. This guy was using it as a whorehouse, and it ate all his clients. This person, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, stop narrating and just show me the funny people falling into the bed and being dissolved by it. Number two, apparently other than eating people, the bed's favorite pastime is fucking with people's heads. If you sleep in the bed before it eats you, it likes to give you nightmares. And then every once in a while, it'll let somebody escape thinking that they've gotten away from the bed. And at the last moment, it throws one of its sheets out, grabs you, and reels you back in. It just likes, like, fucking with your head. Number one, my favorite thing about this movie... The best thing is that when the bed quote-unquote eats people or different things, it actually makes munching noises. But how it eats, it dissolves things in this acid. So it makes no sense that it makes munching noises. And it's absolutely hysterical. Dramatic effect. The first 50 seconds of this movie, 47 seconds actually to be exact, is a black screen with munching noises. Nothing's on screen. You have no idea what's going on. You just hear munching noises. It's just too deep for us here at B-Movie Bros to get. I was just like, that's, that's awesome. It's hilarious. I love it. And uh, that, that, is my, that is the absolute top of this movie, is that when the bed eats, it actually makes eating noises. Paul, what are your top three? For number three, I'm going to go with... This, I have to give this movie credit. It really attempted to be artistic. Whether or not it worked is... Well, it didn't work, or maybe I, I just didn't get it. I'm not sophisticated enough to get it. I'm convinced this movie is just too deep for me, but yeah, it, it, it tried it at the very least. For number two, I'm going to have to go with, there was this kind of cool, sort of gothic kind of style to the movie. It, it seemed more like I was, I was like watching a film adaptation of an Edgar Allan Poe um, poem or something like that, and that was kind of cool. And for number one, I'm going to have to go with the fact that I've never really seen a 
bad kill people before. Um, the only thing, this really reminded me of the scene in the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie where Freddy just kills his, kills Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp through, like, the bed and this blood splatters through it. Except, like, none of the deaths were quite as, like, hardcore. They just kind of dissolve people. Let's go right to giving this a sc- short... Uh, sh- sh- score! There you on go. On our shot scale. Finally got it. Of course, our shot scales are of our scale, 1 to 10. 1 being the best, 10 being the worst. How many shots do you need to get through this movie? Once you hear my score, you'll find out why I can't fucking talk. Um, I give this movie a 7 out of 10 on our shot scale, Paul. I give this movie a 5 out of 10. Alright, well, uh, I guess I'll tell you why I gave it a 7. So, th- this movie happened. That's really all that you have to say about it. Things happened very slowly. I don't know who any of the people were, nor do I even care. The inner monologuing, which is a majority of the film's dialogue, annoyed the shit out of me. The only character who got a backstory and was kind of likable was the deathbed. Avoid this film. If you want to see a good scene of someone being killed by a bed, watch A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original version. Paul? I'm not really sure what to say about deathbed, the bed that kills. It just, like you said, kind of happened. Most of the scenes were pointless and were just people kind of walking around and then the bed would inevitably kill them. Maybe there was some kind of point to this movie, and they're trying to make some kind of some kind of meaning to it. Maybe I'm just not creative enough to get it. But this movie wasn't bad. It wasn't good either. But it also wasn't even all right. It was just kind of there. It's like, is there a point to it? Did something happen? Am I missing something? I don't know. I don't think I'm ever gonna know. I just I feel more like I was. Like, I just got out of watching a modern art exhibit than seeing a movie. I just... I'm giving this a 5 out of 10 because it just seems appropriate. I, I'm so apathetic about it, I can't give it any higher or lower. We know that not everyone likes the same kind of shit that we do. So we like to give every B-movie that we watch an A-movie companion. Where we compare this B-movie to an A-movie, something of a higher class. A better kind of movie. And tell you why that A-movie is just a better version of this B-movie. I'm going to go and say that my A-movie companion for Deathbed, The Bed That Eats, is the 1976 masterpiece Taxi Driver, starring Robert De Niro. I'm going to go with the 1982 movie Blade Runner, starring Harrison Ford. Here's why I think Taxi Driver is a good A-movie companion for this. Both movies are from the 1970s. Deathbed from 77, Taxi Driver from 76. Both movies feature key dialogue and story progression through inner monologues. You know, a, a lot of the the mental state of Robert De Niro's character in Taxi Driver is his inner monologue, telling about the city, what he feels, and why he's, you know, going insane through the movie. Just about everybody in fucking deathbed talks in their brain. And then both movies do feature people getting killed, whether by Robert De Niro or by a bed. That's it. I just, I really like Taxi Driver, and... I'd rather be watching that. Anyway, why is Blade Runner an A-movie companion for Deathbed? Alright, so both movies had unnecessary um, narration and inner monologues. In Deathbed, almost every character had an inner monologue or narrated the plot, which was pointless and added nothing to the plot. In the director's cut of Blade Runner, uh, the main character, Rick Deckard, he's has so many scenes where he's just narrating the plot, and if you see the original version... 
this actually really detracts from the plot. It's unnecessary, and it's, in a lot of ways, condescending. I didn't think Blade Runner was that hard to get, and I like the fact that the original version didn't, like, try to point everything out to you. Both movies featured inanimate objects killing people. Deathbed had a demonic bed killing people, and Blade Runner had rogue androids committing murders. And both movies had some kind of revelation at the end. In Deathbed, Sharon realized that death was inevitable and that she was actually the woman whose grave they saw earlier in the movie, I, I think. I, it was really hard to understand. And at the end of Blade Runner, the android Gaff um, was able to accept himself as a human by choosing not to kill Rick and choose to live his life through choice rather than through his programming. So they both kind of like Sharon realized that she had to die and Gaff realized that he had a choice in his life. He was actually human even though he was an android. That's why Blade Runner is just an A-movie version of Deathbed, the bed that eats. So there you have it, Blade Runner 1982 or Taxi Driver 1976. Now it's time for just about everyone's favorite segment, at least mine. Time to drink away the flick, drink away the flick, come on and grab your drink, let's drink away the flick. And at this point, Paul and I would like to give you some drinking games to help you get through this movie. Number one, every time the bed makes any kind of eating noise, take a drink. Number two, whenever someone gets eaten, take a drink. Number three, anytime you see boobs, take a drink. Number four, anytime brother sounds apathetic, take a drink. And number five, of course, because it's how the fuck did that kill you month? Anytime you find yourself saying, how the fuck did that kill you? Take a drink. Every time one of the characters has an inner monologue, take a drink. Every time the guy behind the painting talks about being behind the painting, take a drink. Every time you see bed acid dissolving somebody, take a drink. And every time someone has a nightmare caused by the bed, take a drink. And those are your ways you can drink away this flick. That concludes Deathbed, the bed that eats. If you would like to join us next week as we continue How the Fuck Did That Kill You Month, we'll be watching and reviewing the 2010 film Rubber. No, we're not going back to condoms here. This one's about a killer tire. Before we go here, uh, Paul, Paul likes to do his monthly ranking. Uh, weekly of things we've watched this month, which I've kind of started liking and enjoying doing. For me, in last place at number two is Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. It just doesn't compare with the number one place, which is uh, Killer Condom. Killer Condom just blew it out of the water. <laughs> blew it. <laughs> so for number one, I'm going to have to go with Killer Condoms. For number two, Killer Condoms. Number three, Killer Condoms. And number four, Deathbed, the bed that eats. And that's my ranking so far. Paul, you do know that Killer Condom is singular. It's not Killer Condoms, it's Killer Condom. I don't care. I, I just don't. I just know that's number one, two, and three right now. Because it's so far above Deathbed, the bed that eats. So there you have it. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the Movie Bros. That's all one word. Like us on Facebook at B-Movie, space B-R-O-S, B-Movie Bros. Follow Paul directly on Twitter at B-Movie Paul. Uh, like us, follow us here on SoundCloud. So until next time, friends, be brave, be alive, 
be back next week.